Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is the podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar, so maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are indulging on our inner weirdos, because we are the weirdos, mister. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And we are talking about the 1996 film The Craft, continuing our uh, theme this month of I Put a Spell on You, Magic in Horror, so... So we will be talking about that one, but before we get into the craft, we have our usual spoiler-free content. So as far as releases go this week, a few pretty interesting ones. First up, and these will all be uh, out by the time you're listening to this, but first up is Sacrifice, which is coming to VOD on the 9th. And this is one that features Barbara Crampton, who a lot of you know from uh, Stuart Gordon's movies like Reanimator or... From Beyond, and she's done a lot of other stuff recently, too, like You're Next, and just lots of great films. Great, great horror actress and star. But she's featured in this one, and this is another Lovecraftian tale about a guy whose mother passes away, so he and his wife go to his birthplace of origin, uh, which is on this isolated Norwegian island. And when they get there, they discover that the people of the island worship a... uh, deity in the ocean or the lake whatever it is <laughs> she gets wrapped uh, up in a lot of lovecraft stuff she sure does and you know i i mean to ask her next time i interview her if the lovecraft stuff finds her or if she finds the lovecraft <laughs> stuff but because <laughs> she also produced uh, the recent remake of uh, castle freak which is another film that she was in and that one goes heavy on the lovecraft theme yeah. the remake does uh so yeah i don't know but um but this one was reviewed by our journalist, Zach Gorecki, on KillerHorrorCritic.com, so you can go and check out his review there. Uh, Zach wasn't too impressed with it. I liked it a bit better than Zach. I I do find it to be uh, quite a slow burn, you know, so for those of you that are expecting this massive amount of Lovecraft lore and creatures and, like, this big creature feature and stuff like that, this is not that. <laughs> uh, Sacrifice is a much what I would call a quieter film. It's a slow burn. It definitely takes a while to get going. Uh, So if you're not into that kind of film, I don't know that it will be for you. Um, But if you are heavy into Lovecraft and you like stories like this or just a fan of Barbara's, I do definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, Next up is one that I'm very excited to watch, which is Willy's Wonderland. And this is coming to VOD on the 12th. And this film essentially stars Nick Cage as a... Oh, shit. (laughs) This film stars Nick Cage as a drifter who is hired to work at a Chuck E. Cheese-like establishment called Willy's Wonderland um, as a janitor. And in the middle of the night, he finds himself battling animatronic (laughs) bears and whatnot that have gone crazy. And it just looks like a fucking blast. Um, (laughs) Does it look like he's going full Nick Cage in this? 
So I couldn't really tell from the trailer, but I would have to imagine based on the plot that yes, Nick Cage will be going full Nick Cage in this one. <laughs> um, I, you know, I caught Prisoners of the Ghostland uh, this past week at Sundance, and I would say that that is the most I've seen Cage go to the Cage <laughs> level in quite a while. Uh, so I don't know that Willy's Wonderland will top that uh, for me, but I'm sure he will. And I just gotta say, I just love that Cage is doing all of these like. <laughs> really obscure horror films as of late you know this he's, color out of space mandy prisoners of the ghost land like he's found his niche he knows what he does he knows what he does well he really has and he knows that we love him for it like you know there are so many of us horror fans that are just like yes give me all of the nick cage because because <laughs> you know because he's he's providing something that we've talked about a lot recently which is this need i think for uh less cynical more fun horror you know we yeah. can have both. We definitely need both. I'm not saying we get rid of one for the other, but we definitely do, I think, need an injection of just fun horror that isn't getting too deep and making us all miserable, you yeah. know? <laughs> we need balance. Uh, yeah, there needs to be balance. And and Nick Cage is just, he's doing that. You know, <laughs> you just put Nick Cage in a movie and you're guaranteed to have some of that. So. <laughs> but anyway, so this one will be on the 12th. Uh, I should hopefully have a review up by the time it's releasing. And lastly, uh, St. Maud is currently in select theaters, but it will be coming to the streaming service Epics on the 12th. It's all very complicated. Look into it on our site at killerheartcritic.com. I won't get into it here. Um, but it will be there on the 12th. And this one was reviewed by our assistant editor, Caitlin Nelson, who you can follow on Twitter at 24th underscore doctor. And you can find her review on killerheartcritic.com. But... You know, this is the highly anticipated A24 film that it feels like we've been waiting forever on yeah. because it got pushed back again and again and again, thanks to COVID. Uh, and this is one that follows this religious woman who is hired to take care of this uh, person who's dying. And then she takes it upon herself to, like, save this person's soul. And it just looks really intense and all that. I still haven't seen it myself, but Caitlin absolutely loved it. Oh, good. So, you know, like I always say, like, if Caitlin loves it, that's good enough for me. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, again, you can find her review on killhorrorcritic.com. But, uh, so those are just a few of the releases. There's actually quite a few, so just keep an eye out on our Twitter at Killer From Space. We'll be keeping you updated, as we always do, with what's coming out this week. So, before I forget, The Craft, for those of you that don't know, again, this is the 1996 film directed by Andrew Fleming, who also directed a film that I really enjoy, that I think is kind of underrated, which is Bad Dreams. It's kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street spoof that involves cults and all this stuff. <laughs> but it was directed by Fleming, and it was written by Andrew Fleming and Peter Filardi, and Filardi had uh, written the 1990 film Flatliners. Uh, but this one's basically about this uh, this new girl, Sarah who is played by Robin Tunney, and it, she arrives at this uh, Catholic school, you know, kind of school where they make you wear uniforms and all that junk. She arrives at this Catholic school and finds herself immediately an outcast and ends up uh, becoming friends with a trio of girls who all turn out to be witches, and they consider her their fourth corner, their fourth witch that they need, and... What starts out to be fun and magical ends up turning nightmarish when uh, <laughs> when one of the girls, Nancy, uh, played by Feruza Balk, ends up summoning this entity into herself and kind of turns evil or whatnot. <laughs> we'll we'll get into we'll get into the, all that spoilers. and spoilers. That's not a spoiler. We'll we'll get into all that and what and what happens with this film and whatnot. But uh, but so that's what it's about. Uh, so every week we like to run a poll on on Twitter at Killer from Space. 
kind of getting your thoughts and feelings on the film and and what you feel about it. So between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the craft falls with our audience? I feel like the craft is one of those cult classics, so it has to be love it, right? So it is, yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, the craft is, I, I don't know if I'd call it a cult classic necessarily because it was successful at the box office. Fan um, favorite? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> people people get touchy about cult classics and classics, you know? They're like, it's only a cult classic if it's discovered after its theater- theatrical release and whatnot, and I, you know, I'm just, I don't oh, want to deal right. with it. So, But no, yes, it, it is a very beloved film. You know, this movie came out at a time where, honestly, I mean, just almost any film geared towards teen girls was just not really a thing. <laughs> Which is stupid. <laughs> yeah. But it came out at a time, especially where horror was not being geared towards teen girls, and the craft kind of, you know, was picking up. I hate to use this phrasing, but they were picking up clues from films like Clueless, and yeah. realizing that there was an audience out there that was being untapped. And Absolutely. So, so they ended up making this. But yeah, so Love It got fifty-five percent, of course. Yep. Uh, it's Fine got thirty percent. Only two percent don't like it. And 13% say they've never seen it. So that's roughly about yeah. what I would expect. Although I am surprised that there's not more that just emphatically love it. But it's Twitter, you know. So yeah. <laughs> I expect mixed reactions on everything. As far as some of the comments for this one, and these are all from Twitter as well. At uh, sinful underscore redhead. And sinful is S-I-N-N-F-U-L. This is from our friend Sarah. What's up, Sarah? Uh, she says, this was the film to watch when I was in high school. This is one of those movies where the people who were killed slash hurt kind of deserved it. It's a film where you're rooting for the group of witches, even Nancy, who's sort of the villain in this movie. I was rooting for her, too. <laughs> yeah, it's what I think is really great about the craft is the fact that our girls in it and our villains. Yeah, they're not particularly villains. They're dealing with very heavy real life situations. Mm. And so, yeah, you are absolutely rooting for them and you are absolutely rooting against the the people that their magic goes against i wish i wish i went to your school because mine was not the craft was not the the teen movie to go to ours was 10 things i hate about you yeah well you also went to school with like 10 people who all sounded i did i went to a very (laughs) white college prep school with less than 100 kids in my entire high school yeah so your school's an anomaly when it comes to literally anything um Uh, no, the craft was very popular in my school, as I imagine it was many. But no, yeah, I, I just want to uh, agree with that, is that, you know, that is something that I think I love about the craft, and I think many other people do as well, is that, you know, these these girls that take sort of a bad turn, they're not your traditional villains. You know, they, they do have they do have really great reasoning for why they are the way they are, and and what's driving them towards this power. And as we all know, power corrupts you and all that. And yep. and especially in Nancy's case, you know, Nancy has quite the rough life as we learn. And, uh, you know, just is like in the perfect environment to kind of brew up someone who's a bit angry at the world, right? So Yeah, I have <laughs> such thoughts on Nancy. Yeah, so no, I completely agree. And, that, and that's what makes them all so relatable is that none of us are perfect. We all have the kind of like these deep-seated anxieties or fears or frustrations with the world around us right and and you know at the same time it doesn't make us bad people that we have those things but it's easy to kind of stray off the path and kind of go down that route of 
yeah, not being so great. You know? Yeah, especially when you're given access to something that gives you more power than you had in your life previously. Right, exactly. Like, if I was given power to just make any studio decisions I want right now, I'd drive studios nuts. I'd be like, release the Craven <laughs> cut. You know, let's erase some movies from existence completely. <laughs> oh, that's a bit harsh. But anyway, so thank you, Sarah, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Monster0NJ, and he just says it's a fun flick and has a few creepy moments. It definitely, yes, 100% agree. I I think that's what I like so much about this film is that, you know, it does feel, to your point, like that teen movie, that movie that's for teen girls, it's very fun, and the characters are fun to watch, and then, you know, there's fucking snakes and spiders and all of, like, the magic elements really creep me out sometimes. It's a really great mix. Not snakes and spiders. Um, hey. <laughs> no, I agree. It's, um, you know, this is something that I, I felt that the... Uh, the uh, pseudo-sequel, reboot, whatever you want to call it, The Craft Legacy, which came out this last year, this is one thing I feel it didn't do. Now, it has its own positives that I'm not going to rant about here because we're talking about The Craft, but but something that it didn't really do as well is the scare factor of it, you know? Uh, and that's something that The Craft does well, is it's, you really you really get into the headspace of just the the fear that comes with magic right like there's something beautiful about it but there's also something terrifying about it as well you know and and, and you see that uh exemplified in just little moments early on like when the girls play um the light is a feather right. game mm -hmm. you know and, and it is this thing that's like i think that moment perfectly encapsulates the entire movie because it's you know these teen girls are having fun and you know, enjoying kind of toying around with magic and they, they, you know, it's like a fun thing for them to be lifting up this girl at first. And then, it, you know, all of a sudden she's hanging in midair and they don't know what to do about it. And it, it's kind of like this awe inspiring, but also sort of scary moment of like, well, shit, now what, you know, <laughs> like, uh, especially learning like, fuck, we have the power to do this. Like, yeah. you know, that's, that's like an exhilarating, but, but kind of terrifying moment. So, uh, so no, and, and that plays all throughout the film, and it just gets darker and darker and darker and creepier. And uh, you know, it's um, coming from the director who made Bad Dreams. Like I actually think it was a really good pairing because he does do these sort of fantastical elements while also telling a very personal story very well. So yeah. thank you, Monster Zero, for the comment. Appreciate it. And lastly is at Beer Nut One, and that's with the number one not spelled out. And this is from Seth, a big supporter of ours. What's up, Seth? And he says, I haven't seen it since shortly after it came out in theaters, but I remember it being good, great acting, good soundtrack, uh, good effects, camera shocks, but it never really hit the great mark for me. I probably missed a lot being 16 when it was released. <laughs> I think there is something to be said about watching it as an adult, especially once you've gotten through the high school experience. Because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Seth on this on this one, I like this movie. I don't love it. It's definitely not my favorite witch film of all the witch films. Sure. Um, But I think there's something as an adult watching this film where once you've made it through high school, you can look back on it because the beauty of this film is the very human high school element of it. For me, that's it more so than the magic about having friendships and those friendships going south. And I think until you get through high school, it doesn't hit home if that 
makes uh, sense. I, I would strongly disagree that okay. there's things in this movie that don't hit home. Because I, I, I see what you're saying. I just think that there's so much in the movie that taps into the high school life that I think it's wrong to say that it doesn't connect with teenagers. So... Um, so I, I would, I would just say this, you know, I think that, I mean, look, you know, first of all, any film that you see at a younger age is worth revisiting later on because you never know if you're going to feel differently about it. You know, I, I can't tell you how many films I've warmed on or even grown cold on, you know, once I see them later in life again and kind of, you know, have dropped expectations or have a better understanding of it as an adult. And, And the craft is definitely one where, you know, I think, especially for teenage boys, was probably one that maybe you, you overlooked or <laughs> yeah, or or that you didn't quite get at the time, or or maybe just even, you know. And I'm not saying Seth did this. I doubt knowing Seth. I doubt Seth did this. <laughs> so I'm not saying that Seth, but but you know, I'm sure there were also some dudes too who just because it starred four women were just turning their noses up at it. And oh, just, that definitely happened. And, and and just immediately not relating to it, right? So. <laughs> Um, but I think that, you know, the value of it and, and why a lot of uh, male teenagers probably also did relate to it is, you know, it goes beyond them just being girls. Like, these girls are still dealing with very real problems in high school that I think all of us can kind of relate to in one way or another. You know, so, so yeah, I guess my comment would just be like, you know, if it has been since you were 16 or, or whatever that you haven't seen it, highly suggest checking it out again. Uh, these films always play differently once you're older. Um, but I also agree with everything he said too. You know, where it's like the performances are great. It has an incredible soundtrack. I actually oh, think yeah. it's I actually think it's one of the better like horror film soundtracks of the '90s. D- it does have great effects, although I do feel the CG is quite a bit dated, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's and that's being kind. <laughs> uh, but no, it is really well made all around. You know, this this film had a lot of great people working on it, and it, and it shows. I think all throughout. Um, but all right, anyway, thank you, Seth, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, so the last thing we like to do before spoiling the crap out of the movie here for you is kind of go through the tagline of the film and compare it to what we ultimately got. So the tagline for the craft was, Welcome to the witching hour. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of the craft overall? I feel like that tagline is very appropriate for the time this movie came out. How so? Um, I don't know. There's just something about it that feels very like... 90s i don't really know how to put it other than that of like okay time, i don't know for me like I, th- I think it works i think it works for the film because yeah this is it's all about these girls coming into their own power that for me is what i really like about this film like i said i like this film i don't love it like my favorite witch films have to go to like the classics that i grew up with which is hocus pocus and witches because yeah i'm that person and i'm okay with that yeah you love the super traditional stuff (laughs) i i do but what i really appreciate about the craft is how much of a human story this is to your point that you were just talking about i think that everything going on in the craft is so relatable we all had high school moments like what the girls are going through and that's what i think is the beauty of this film is it really nailed what it's like being in high school and you know just did that magical twist on it was with adding them having magic powers and all that kind of stuff yeah, no, I mean, the, the tagline's pretty basic itself. The thing that I do like about it that that you kind of mentioned is that I, I think you can read it a different way of, of a coming-of-age type tale, you know, where it's like, 
you say welcome to the witching hour, but in a sense, you can also sort of read that as like welcome to puberty, you know, welcome yeah. to high school, <laughs> like because uh, even even though you know puberty is not really a, a thing that's touched on in this film at all, um, it's still it's still dealing with that idea of like once you get into high school, you're beginning to become an adult, you know, you're going through the uh, the first experiences of adulthood, right? Yeah. Uh, leading into adulthood. And um, so I think in that sense, it kind of plays that in, in a way that, you know, encapsulates the feeling of the movie because they are sort of like coming into themselves, I guess is a way to put it, you know? And, and the whole witch thing is just kind of like a, a metaphor for what they're going through in life. So It's one big giant metaphor. Every movie is. Um, so... <laughs> So no, so I I don't mind it, but but as far as the film itself, no, I love the craft. I think that, you know, it's it's definitely uh, dated in a in a few ways uh, since it came out in the '90s. There's some problematic things that <laughs> that I'll probably touch on throughout the show, but <laughs> but I, but I love this movie because I think it spoke to outsiders like myself, you know, who who just you know my high school experience was very similar to these girls where like i wasn't practicing witchcraft you know but i definitely <laughs> i definitely felt that 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 isolated kind of you know not one of the popular kids type feeling uh and i think that this film taps into that you know like i i do think one of the best lines from the 90s maybe is <laughs> is uh is nancy turning around and saying we are the weirdos mister you know because cuz i you know that just that's it's great. It's always great to see yourself on screen in some kind of way, right? Yeah. And and I think that at that time, you know, I mean, let's remember the history of horror. Uh, the the weird, the quote unquote weird kids or the goths or whatever, they were never the main character. You no. know, they they were they were always like the weirdo side friend that would get picked off halfway through the movie. <laughs> and they were always treated as such, you know, they were always treated as being like the really weird ones who you just don't talk to, you know? And, and, uh, and anyway, so the, the horror genre never really treated those characters very well. And, and if they were the star, then they were typically the killer on top of it, you yeah. know? So, <laughs> so, so you just, there was no, there wasn't a lot of great representation for, uh, for just the, the, the kids who were outcasts, you yeah. know? in horror films and so a film like the craft where it's like not only are these kids outcasts in a way that's relatable that i connect to where the whole thing isn't just they want to murder people but they actually have like their own stories and their own problems they're dealing with you know you you connect to that and it you know just every one of them each each of the four main characters gives you like a different kind of person to root for and so i've you know it's almost like rocky horror picture show in a sense where i feel like this is the kind of movie where you could go to midnight screenings and everybody's coming dressed up as their favorite character right because because everyone had their favorites anyway yeah no so i love this movie it it was a it, it was a thing that was doing something that you know right now in 2020 seems like not that big of a deal but back in, in even the mid 90s it still was so rare to see that kind of thing going on in a film so Ew. So no, it was a big deal when it came out. But all right, so we're about to take a break, and then when we come back, we're going to spoil the crap out of the craft for you. So again, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Very much worth the rental price. (laughs) Uh, Otherwise, we will see you in a moment. If you've been enjoying Killer Horror Critic, please make sure to head to iTunes and leave a review and rating, as this helps the show get noticed by others and would be a huge favor to me. 
Also make sure to check out my Patreon, where you can receive access to exclusive content, such as bonus questions for each episode, extra episodes, and more. To find out details, visit www.patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope you enjoy tonight's episode. Alright, and we're back here discussing the 1996 film The Craft. So, as we always like to do, you know, this film has an assortment of characters. We've got Robin Tooney playing Sarah, Faruza Balk playing Nancy, Nev Campbell plays Bonnie, Rachel True plays Rochelle, Skeet Ulrich is in this film as a guy named Chris. Who do you want to talk about in The Craft? So, I really want to talk about Nancy. Um, And by the way, we are in spoiler territory. Yeah, I really want to talk about Nancy because she's technically our villain in the film, right? Like, she's the one that kind of goes power mad towards the end and everything like that. But I feel like Nancy is such a tragic character. Oh, of course. And that's the thing that, like, throughout this entire film, I feel like this really showcases how much high school, people being shitty to you and bullying you can really twist someone not in the sense of like twist them into becoming villains or murderers or anything like that sure but like when we meet nancy she has this like just hardcore shell around her she's very protective and defensive of herself but she is this really soft girl on the inside we don't see it too often the moment really for me that we see nancy's softer side is when they're trying to take away um Bonnie's scars and Bonnie it's a moment that's supposed to be about Bonnie and Mm. Bonnie just keeps repeating take my scars away take my scars away and it's a really heartbreaking moment but if you watch Nancy in that scene she her heart is breaking for her friend she cares so much about people around her and how she's seen that it twists her into this person who just wants she she wants a better life for herself, for her friends, because she's in this fucking shitty situation. She's living in a trailer park. She's living with a dude who's not her dad, who's abusive to her mom. All this shitty thing. Everybody looks down on her. Like, the popular dude is calling her a slut behind her back. All of this shitty things, and she just... I really firmly believe that Nancy's the one who first got into the witchcraft stuff. As, oh, without a doubt. Yeah, as a way to, like, take back power. Like, she's been trying to take back power. And then fucking Sarah shows up. This gorgeous creature who, like, is fairly confident in herself. And Mm. everything comes so easy to Sarah. Like, she can do magic better than any of the rest of them. She has Chris's eye. And, like, I feel like this whole movie is just watching somebody who is watching somebody else get everything that she's been striving for everything nancy's been striving for comes so easily to sarah and it just twists her yeah well and you'll also notice too that well nancy is sympathetic towards bonnie uh she doesn't really give a shit about sarah's story about committing suicide oh no or or trying to (laughs) um so that that shows you that yes there is a big gap between the two, which which I, I want to get into more as we go here, but who who I just want to touch on really quick is is uh, is playing into one of the problematic elements of the movie, and that is Chris played by Skeet Oldrich. <laughs> and you know, it's this thing of like I do find it. We're gonna talk more about this later, but I do find it really interesting that you know this film was 
written and directed by men and it's aimed towards teen girls and became a very popular teen girl film at the time Mm -hmm. but it was made by men and i think that some of that influence is kind of seen throughout the film one of the things being this character chris because you know first of all i just want to say skeet ulrich does a great job as the character because he does you know skeet has a great way of coming off as both a complete and utter asshole and also kind of charming all at once you know so so he works really well but the character himself is just like you know he he's totally shitty douchebag yeah. uh, who uses women who makes up lies about uh sarah and saying that she was a lousy lay even though they never even slept together you know he's one of those douchebags that like spreads those kind of rumors around school him and his friends just definitely seem like women haters and they're yep. they're just awful you know like total totally representative of like the worst kind of you know the 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 brock <laughs> <laughs> You know, that kid that got away with Ray Brock. Yeah. Like, the, he's the, the incarnation of those kind of people, right? Oh, yeah. And when I watch this, like, that that part's fine because you're making a commentary on, you know, on the way that white men in relationships can be. But the thing that I don't like is that Sarah, even after he's, like, making up these lies about her and stuff, she's still into him and, like, casts a love spell where she wants him to like her. You know, and 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 it's that one thing where I'm like, doesn't really strike me as realistic. You know, it. <laughs> yeah, I I have major issues with the boy drama in this. Uh-huh. Like, oh, it's all throughout too. It, it's all through. <laughs> yeah, the the boy drama is my biggest issue with this film. Like, this is the one area of the film that like turns me off a little bit. Well, yeah, because I mean, when you're, <laughs> you know, I just feel like. Uh, it's just such like a male thing to do, right? That when you're writing women, you make it all about men. You know? Yes. <laughs> like they're like their whole like Sarah's whole thing initially is being all about Chris, and it's like, can we not just have it be about her and her friends? You know? Yeah. Not and and if and if it's gonna be about some dude, let's make it about someone that we actually want to like, not like a fucking you know, semi-rapist douchebag who spreads rumors about these girls and is the kind of guy that typically ruins women's lives, like... <laughs> yep, who actually attempts to rape Sarah. Who does? I, it's a little bit different then because he is under a spell, but it's still pretty... It's still bad. Like, it's not... Yeah. <laughs> we're, not ro- we're not rooting for Chris. Let's no. just say that, right? So so I just wanted to mention that because I just think that that's... It, it's so strange that that's in there, you know? And, and, and there's a lot of... You know, but it also kind of speaks to Sarah's character, too, because... You know, I feel like even though this movie on the surface is about witchcraft and outcasts and all that stuff, and we do have these other really interesting characters like Nancy, Bonnie, and Rochelle, you know, the the thing ultimately ends up kind of feeling like a, a bit of a commentary on, you know, these survivors of suicide attempts or, or the people that go through that because, you know, when you really, like, start to unpack Sarah's character, you know, who is she? She's this girl that, like you mentioned, she's a beautiful creature. She has every right to be confident in herself. And yet she's not, and, and and she seems to like be geared towards abusers, you know, because mm. Chris is clearly an abuser. Yeah. <laughs> and but but these these girls are too, because they kind of make it clear from the beginning that it's not really about her friendship; it's no. about just her being a fourth for their circle. And and it's pretty obvious from the get go, you yeah. know. And yet she's still clinging to them. So Sarah's this girl that like she clings to abusers, she clings to people that use her. And, 
you know, it's just like, and you even have later on uh, Nancy making fun of her for not successfully killing herself, right? And it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, so it, it's kind of fascinating, like, how Sarah develops throughout the film because I think it's really ultimately about, you know, overcoming whatever led you to that sort of depression and finding the true power within yourself, right? So, Absolutely. But anyway, so I'm going to get more into that in a bit. So uh, one of our listeners, uh, James, who's a big supporter of ours. What's up, James? And uh, he's on Twitter at JamesShannonMo2. And that's uh, James, S-H-A-N-N-O-N-M-O-2. And he asks, how well do you think the, more v- the movie's portrayal of high school life is like? Uh, you know, dealing with bullies, cliques, and gossip. And gossip. And are you glad it was rated R and not PG-13? Uh, well, I will say I'm definitely glad that it was rated R because I I don't think that this film could have worked quite as well PG-13. Disagree. That's fair. <laughs> I think it, I think for me I might be jaded because it doesn't feel like an R film to me. Um, and so like, yeah, I don't really understand why it's rated R. Is it because of the attempted rape? Is it for no, the no, no. Well, hold on, hold on. Finish your thought. You said you're happy it's rated R, though, even though it doesn't feel like it's rated R. Well, that's the thing. Is just like <laughs> I, I feel like all of the elements that are in that in the film, um, are important to the storytelling of the film. So I don't, I don't get what they could have taken out to make it PG thirteen. Okay, let me help you here. Okay. So it's not. <laughs> what makes this rated R? So, so you're 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 happy it's R. You think because you think all the elements yeah, were I... kept there because of that. So let me let me just clarify. So, no, it's absolutely shitty that it's rated R, and I'll tell you why. Uh, so this is. <laughs> So first of all, thank you, James, for this question, because this gives me the perfect opportunity to rant about one of my favorite subjects, which is how much I hate the MPAA. So <laughs> the MPAA is bullshit. So for those of you that don't know, and, you know, I, I've been digging through all kinds of research and interviews and stuff like that. For those of you that don't know, the craft is rated R not because of language, not because of violence, not because of the sexuality. It's rated R, apparently, because it combines uh, what the MPAA referred to as Satan worship and teenagers. Are you so- <laughs> fucking kidding me? Okay, now now I'm on your side. There you go. So- okay, now I'm on your side. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> so no, so let, me, let me just go over all the reasons why the MPAA is so wrong there and why I hate them. So first of all, first of all, being rated PG-13 instead of an R is actually a detriment to the film. Because even though this film did well at the box office opening weekend it still didn't ultimately do as well as it could have. And part of the reason for that is likely because it was PG-13 and not R, and yet it's a movie geared towards teenage girls. Yeah, so the targeted so, audience couldn't watch it. So the target audience had a more difficult time seeing it, you know, and that's automatically going to be detrimental to your film. Uh, so it allowed less teenage girls that the movie was made for to be able to go see it, which always pisses me off when that happens thanks to the MPAA. Yep. <laughs> You know, because this movie was not made to be rated R. Like, if it was made to be R and all the gore was cut and that stuff, then then I would be mad. But it wasn't made to be that. It was made to be a PG-13 film for girls to be able to go see. And the MPAA fucked that up. So, Bitches. So there's my first reason I hate them in this case. <laughs> um, the next is, this is not a film about Satan worship. No. And, you know, this... So, typically, uh, which films will deal heavily in Satan worship, it, that's an element of it. But this is more uh, a modern take on witchcraft in, in Wicca. You know, that's, yeah. that's what it's looking at. It's not Satan worship. Like, this is the kind of film that goes over, and we'll get into this in a sec, but this is the kind of film that 
goes over ideas of you know everything being a part of everything so it's not it's not heaven and hell it's just nature and the elements you know that's what all of it is and there are deities that can be considered good or bad but it's not satan so uh so the mpa is wrong there and this just gets me to what i hate about the mpaa is that you know i i suggest this every now and then if you've never seen the documentary this film is not yet rated highly suggest checking it out it goes over the the origins of the MPAA and what they really are. And again, for those that don't know, the MPA is basically a, a group of like highly religious, like, Ew. like Protestant type, you know, the MPA essentially comes from like a realm of the church, you know, like it's there. Yeah. I, I won't get into specifics, but it's, it's essentially like con- concocted of people that are from the church, you know, who, who rate these movies a little bit too harshly and one of the most fascinating things from that documentary that i've always considered is how uh is how that doc is how that documentary explains that you know you might have one like a you might have like a schwarzenegger film that has people getting their heads cut off and you know he's fucking and like there's all kinds of like hardcore shit going on and that gets rated r but then you have a film that has none of that and it might just have a scene where, like, two women kiss, yep. and it's NC-17 in the MPA's eyes, you know? So, like... I do hate them for how they tweet, treat the queer community. Oh, they treat it awful, because, yeah. again, it all stems from the church, basically, you know? So, it's... It, the MPA is awful. Rating it PG... Or rating it R instead of PG-13 was just totally unnecessary, and I hate them for it. Uh, so, hopefully, it answers your question, James. No, I fucking hate that it was rated <laughs> R instead of PG-13. Because the R rating added nothing to it. Instead, it just it took away from it in this case. As far as how well it portrays uh, high school, I do think that for the most part, it portrays it pretty well. The, the, the bullying that happens never feels excessive. You know, it never feels like uh, like the type of bullying you see in some films where, like, you know, a kid's getting his head dunked in a toilet or something like that. Like, I'm sure that happened. I was bullied a lot. That never happened to me. Instead, it deals with kind of the more personal things where it's got, you know, characters that are calling you awful names or making you feel like shit about yourself. Or <laughs> For me, the very relatable part is that my high school experience didn't have bullying or anything like that, but I did get ostracized from my own friend group. And so that psychological torment that Sarah goes through from getting kicked out of her group um, and how the girls behave towards Sarah, it's very, that's the most relatable part of it for me is not necessarily the outside bullying because the outside bullying sucks and it makes your life terrible. But when your friend group starts bullying you, like that's when everything just falls to shit. And so that's. Mm. That, for me, was the most relatable high school experience out of this. And I'm really glad they touched on it because you don't always get movies about how shitty it is when your friend group turns on you. Right. I mean, this film is, it it goes all out in kind of delving into, like, the outcast experience, right? Because it's, you know, it it establishes cliques in the sense that, like, you have the popular kids and then you have this group of witches. but, um, But you're right. Like, normally you don't see films where even the person's best friend is like ostracizing them right mm-hmm. like you don't you didn't typically see that in a in a high school movie like this so so i do think it captures it well in that sense and it captures well that sense of being the outcast because you know all of these girls are looked at so differently frankly just for being who they are i mean yep. you know and that and that's the most to me that's always the most frustrating element of bullying is 
you know, you're often picked on for things that are just completely out of your control, you know? Yeah. Uh, like, I, I was bullied relentlessly for for having uh, rosacea, which is like a, a reddening of the cheeks, right? Like, <laughs> you know, some, something so simple and stupid like that, I was bullied relentlessly for it. And, it, you know, you look at all these girls, and it's like, what are they being bullied for, you know? Sarah, I mean, honestly, Sarah's kind of being bullied for, like, being the new girl, it seems. Yeah. Um, which is typical, that happens, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, Nancy's being bullied for, you know, being into the witchcraft stuff and for having the home life that she does, you know, yeah. uh, and for being poor, basically. Uh, Bonnie's being bullied for having scars on her back, you know, despite the fact that she's a beautiful girl and, like, people just look yeah, who, past that at her scars. And <laughs> who the fuck is bullying Nev Campbell? Like, that woman is gorgeous. Well, and that's my one thing with this, too, is, you know, you also have Rochelle, who's being bullied basically just for being black. And and yeah. the interesting thing there is her character was originally white before she was cast. So I'm curious to, like, what her bullying would have been otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> um, And since this is our, our magic month, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on witches in film and how they're treated and how does this film kind of compare with other witchy horror films <laughs> so this brings me into more of the problematic stuff with it so, <laughs> uh, so first off the craft gets a lot of credit for or, or first off i give the craft a lot of credit for uh for approaching witchcraft in a way that hadn't been done before you know at, at the time that the craft was made witches were a very a very stereotypical concept of like chris's favorite witch movie hocus pocus where yep. <laughs> where witches basically means that you ride around on broomsticks you have your like a uh, uh, hideous hag you know like it like that it, and it's like typical like dark magic and all that stuff like that that was the idea of witches, you know? That was the idea of when witches were being burned back in the, the 1600s. That's what they thought witches were, you know? They thought these women fucking got out there in their broomsticks and rode around and cursed people, and that's all <laughs> witchcraft was. And the reality of witchcraft is that it is not that. The reality of witchcraft is like, is like we were talking about before. It's not a worshipping of Satan. It's a, a worshipping of essentially nature and the elements, you know? And... And so what the craft tried to do is, without really talking about it necessarily very much, uh, you know, it approached witchcraft through the concept uh, of being a Wicca, you know, and like, and appreciating the elements and worshiping the elements of the world. And, you know, I will be the first to say I am not very familiar <laughs> with <laughs> With being a Wicca, I, I had an ex who was into it. I think Chris was into it a bit. <laughs> I think most so, girls in the 90s, early 2000s picked up, like, the teen Wicca book. Fair enough. So <laughs> um, so I don't know much about it. I, I have heard, including from uh, our reviewer, Mary Kay McBriar, who uh, reviewed the Craft Legacy, that this original doesn't necessarily portray everything correctly. Like, I think... Oh, no, they throw all kinds of weird shit in it. Yeah, like, I, I think the four elements or the circle thing's a little bit wrong, or I, I don't know. I, I don't remember what she said. I just remember that I just remember her saying that certain elements are off, which I will accept because Mary Kay is much more into this stuff than I am, and, and you sound like you're, you sound I'm, like there's I've a lot read, of... <laughs> I've read some books. Right, so, so it doesn't get everything right there. The thing, so, but, but it was, it was great to have that because it... You know, the the stereotype of the witch itself is like a bad look for women, right? Like it's <laughs> you know, it's a tough thing in horror because what we talked about in the last episode that 
if women were villains in more senses than just as witches, then it wouldn't be such a thing for me. But because it's always tied in with the only time they're villains is when they have magic powers and all that shit, that's that's when I start to see it more problematic. Like, I fucking love magic and horror films. I love witches and horror films because I get to see women be vicious and cruel and mean. And I love all of that shit. And most of the time, you know you have this concept that power corrupts and the craft does that very well. And that's the thing I appreciate about the craft is that it basically states that like, look, you got fucking magic, you got powers, whatever. The power itself isn't inherently good or evil. It's all in how you use it. And I like that they did that narrative to it. Um, Because I will say in my other favorite witch film, you get a little bit of that in the end of witches. Um, the Royal Doll book, because you do have one good witch at the very, very end. Well, look, I mean, again, I'll just say that, you know, the way witches had been portrayed all throughout film was not exactly great for women, you know? Nope. It's, <laughs> uh, like, it, like, it makes them monsters, essentially, right? And, and it gives you the wrong idea of what witchcraft is. So I, I think this film is very positive for, you know, a lot of people who maybe view witchcraft differently or subscribe to the Wicca faith, you know? Uh, whether or not I got everything right, it, <laughs> it, it's a it's a step in the right direction, you know. Exactly. Um, the thing the thing that you know, even as a guy, like bugs me watching it again, goes back to the fact that men made this movie, and it's this idea that you know, I again, I don't I don't know the the specific elements of the Wicca faith, but but something that stands out to me in the movie is the idea that the wick of faith still kind of comes down to worshiping what essentially sounds like a man in Manon. Yep. <laughs> and, and, you know, so it's when you think about it that way, and when you think about this movie being about these teen girls who are, you know, finding their agency and supposed to, <laughs> you know, supposed to be finding their power within themselves and everything. I think it defeats the purpose a little bit when you when have you a group have, of four girls worshiping a dune. Yes, I think it defeats the purpose when you have four girls uh, worshiping essentially a man named Manon, who, with dialogue, you know, such as such as uh, the Nancy saying that Manon comes and fills you, you know, and (laughs) and it's just like, oh, okay, it sounds very sexual, you know, like he fills you and he makes everything better and. You know, it starts to get into these ideas of like, oh, okay, so ultimately this is all boiling down to you just find a man to take care of you. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of what's happening there with this. And I know that that was not the intention of the filmmakers, but that's how it starts to come off. You know, these are one of the things that uh, the Craft Legacy actually did a really good job about avoiding is it had nothing to do really with this oh, Manon filling them crap, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so this kind of leads me into my next thing, which is, you know... To you, what does this film say about the concept of power? Because this film is all about these girls finding this power and it corrupting them and whatnot. Like, what does it say to you about that? So, kind of what I was just touching on, what I like about this film that seems to be saying about power is that it's all in the place that you come from. You know, power, again, is not a force that's good or evil. It's just a thing that's out there and it's all in how you personally use it. Um, like our, our woman who runs the, the Wicca store, like she has this line that I still fucking love, which is true. Magic is neither black nor white. 
that's for me what the commentary on power with this is, is that it comes from within. Uh, so really for me, what I view this movie saying is about really the power of friendship. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but... <laughs> Not really. <laughs> uh, but here, here's my thing. Like, we hear it a lot in this film that, like, you know, the, the power is neutral. We have that line from the woman who runs the Wicca store um, that true magic is neither black nor white. It's all in how, he, how you use it. Like, she makes the commentary that, you know, Nancy gets corrupted by it because she takes it to a dark place. And as long as Sarah doesn't take it to a dark place, she'll be fine. Like, that's things that we hear repeated over and over again. But for me, let's look at the beginning of this film. Like, Sarah has, she gets called a natural witch. She gets told she has power from the beginning. And that's because I feel like when we first meet Sarah, she's been through some shit, but you know, she does have a certain amount of confidence that the other girls lack. She is a little bit more comfortable in herself and standing up for herself. So she has her own power. And so she's a natural witch. Whereas the other girls who are still doubting themselves and down on themselves aren't able to do the things that Sarah is able to do. And so that's what I think is so interesting about this film and the commentary on power is that your power can be taken away. Sarah becomes kind of weaker as we see her later in the film because she's gotten so bogged down with how her friends view her and that situation. So what what do you mean about the power of friendship then? What does this have to do with the power of friendship? Well, so like, look, the girls are at their strongest when um when their friendship is at the strongest. Like, those moments when they're just like hanging out and watching movies together and being teenage girls. Like, there is something so magical about that time in our lives when you find people that you view as your true friends. Because, like, look, the girls get more confident because they're together of that. Does that make sense? No. I think we have very different reads on this film. So, <laughs> so okay. Um, again, this all goes back to the idea that I was talking about before with how I view this really more about Sarah and... Look, ultimately, this movie comes down to a power play between two women for a man. Like, that's really... It does. It really like, kind of does. Like, that's unfortunately really kind of what's going on here. And and I don't I don't think friendship, honestly, has anything to do with this movie. So, you know, I, I think it deceptively has to do with it. Mm -hmm. It's the deception of what you think is a real friendship, but it's not. That That's where yeah. I think... That's where I think we're reading this film really differently, is you're talking about how these girls are better off when, you know, they're having, like, the good friend moments and everything, which is not wrong. I would just argue that they're not actually friends. No. You know, so here, here's here's my take on it, is that, first of all, again, going back to the idea that Sarah is just a really good person who tends to be drawn towards people who use an abuser, you know? Yeah. And, and that plays into this relationship with these girls, where, like, from the very beginning, it's never about friendship with sarah for them they don't really i think they can honestly care less about her yeah because if, if you actually pay attention you know sarah sarah talks sarah actually describes the act of trying to commit suicide to nancy who kind of rolls her eyes at it and then makes some snide comment about worshiping the serpent right she tells her story to rochelle who says she's sorry to hear that nancy like killed her mother but doesn't really seem all that sorry about it you know she kind of hmm. like she she more feels uncomfortable that she brought it up, but doesn't really seem to care. 
you know, you see that you see that all throughout with these girls. Like they just don't. None of them ever seem to actually care about Sarah. They care about her magic, and you know, <laughs> it does end up become frustrating because we talked about how there's this gap between between Nancy and Sarah, and that gap does come from what you were talking about, where. You know, Sarah comes in and she's just automatically great at everything that Nancy's not. Uh, but it does ultimately kind of, again, boil down. Like, this is the problem with male writers writing, yeah. movies, writing <laughs> movies like this. Is it does, everything boils down to, like, a competition over men, right? Because yep. Chris mistreats both Nancy and Sarah. And yet they're both, co- like, Nancy's kind of jealous that Sarah seems to have caught his eye. And, you know, like, yeah, like, Nancy does have this kind of jealousy towards uh sarah for having caught chris's eye because nancy had a thing with chris once and she has a moment later where she's trying to come on to chris and he doesn't like her approaches and so she transforms into nancy or into sarah right um so you have like a competition between them that starts off there but then there also becomes a competition between manon because nancy is literally saying things towards the end like i called him first you know as if to be like he was my boyfriend first right (laughs) And, and it all becomes like the Manon being their boyfriend and, and they're competing over him. And so there's really mixed messaging there. But as far as like the actual power of it goes, there's, that's also problematic because if you're, you know, if you're looking at the idea that, that the power that Nancy gets comes from Manon, then you're saying that Nancy gets her power from a man. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry if I'm pissing off all the male listeners. Yeah. To this like stop bashing men, but it's like I'm sorry. This is what this movie's about, right? Like it's it, it actually boils down to this kind of bullshit where it's like, you know, she's getting her power from that. And okay, the one area I'll get into that's not exactly bashing men here with this <laughs> is that uh, what I do find interesting is. You know, I think you can read this film as none of these girls actually ever had power except for Sarah. And maybe not even Sarah. The reason I say this is, like, Sarah... Well, actually, no, she does have power because we have actual transformations. But <laughs> but, but the thing with Sarah is when Sarah first arrives in this movie, she she's already had experience that we can assume is an experience with Manon, right? Like, she... She talks about how she would see snakes and bugs everywhere, and that's what, and that's part of what drove her to suicide. You know, that could be, uh, that could be like an extra insight into the world around her and Manon and whatnot. And like, like she's told later on, she's a natural witch and and all that bullshit. But, but when you look at what happens with the girls, what is really going on through this whole thing? Like, they have their ceremony, right, where they all make their wishes. Mm-hmm. But are their wishes being granted by Manon or are their wishes being granted by Sarah? Because Sarah, hers is the first wish to come true. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's the one who ties the hair into Rochelle's and, and essentially helps cast the spell to get revengeance on the racist, racist chick that's, pis- <laughs> that's picking on her. Um, she's in the room when Bonnie goes on her you know, cry about uh, wanting her scars to disappear. Mm-hmm. We see Nancy doing a thing to her back, but it is Sarah who's in that room who hears that plea. And then well, it isn't until after Nancy flips out about the fact that her powers haven't come true yet that then Sarah feels bad and her powers do come true. That, <laughs> that's why for me, it's it's not so much about um, Manon and all that stuff. It's it's the power of friendship and stuff like that. Uh, hear, hear me out. I'm still not understanding. I know. Hear, <laughs> hear me out with this. So 
you know, we talked about this before as a coming of age, as a puberty type of thing. And the way that I view it is that these are these girls that are coming into their own. Like they are not comfortable or confident in themselves. And look, when you're with the right group of friends, they make you feel better about yourself. And to your point, I think Sarah just accepting them for who they are, whether their friendship is true or not, it's fucking high school. What friendships really are true and what friendships do you make just because you're thrown together? So like, you know, I think this this backs up your point that, you know, it's more about Sarah and it's about them becoming confident together and that's where their power as people grow being being comfortable in their own skin you're just shaking your head <laughs> i just look I, I will fight for the power of friendship i just i I, just, I think you're trying too hard for the friendship part of this right like it's i know it's not a true friendship i know they're shitty to them but it's not but it's not even it's not even close to a true friendship that's the problem i see what you're saying and look a part of this movie is about accepting others for who they are right yeah a part of that is that but it's not talking of honestly like even though even though nancy bonnie and rochelle are all these characters that that have their own backstories and everything this movie's not about them it's about sarah purely it's about sarah and the reason is is that sarah what makes her different is that she understands the value of her life as is. Yeah. You know, she understands the value of even being alive, and it's why she has this light inside of her, and it's why she is so accepting of other people, you know? Because Sarah has this, you know, whether it came post her trying to commit suicide or even before that, she has an understanding of the elements of the world and of people in the world, and she just generally seems to respect all of it, right? You know, she... I mean, because, again, these girls aren't very good people when she oh. first meets them either. Like, they're fucking kleptos. Yeah, and, they're, you know? sh- they're shitty human beings. None of the other girls are good right, people. Right, 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 right. But, but where my main point with this comes in is what happens at the end. At the end, we find out that, and this is why I think that Manon never had anything to do with Nancy, period, is we find out that none of the girls have their power anymore. Yeah. You know why they don't have a power? Because Sarah wasn't there to give it to them anymore. <laughs> like, you know, I, I feel like uh, I feel like Sarah, again, was this force that they're just using. And even in the end, when when Bonnie and Rochelle show up to make their false apology, that's exactly what it is. Like, they're just they're, they're once again just trying to use her for her power. Yeah. And they don't give a fuck about her, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I think that. You know, there's a great line by Sarah, too, where uh, kind of going back to like the male patriarchy thing where where Nancy is talking about how badly she needs Manon because he makes everything better. And Sarah says nothing makes anything better or nothing makes anything. Nothing makes everything better is something that she says. Right. Yep. And that speaks partially to the idea of a man making things better, but also partially to power. And so if we're going back to this goddamn question about power. <laughs> So I know we got to start wrapping up. I think that you can look at it two ways of what's going on in this film here. One is a really negative male patriarchy way where these women are being punished for having power. Yeah. Which is obviously the depressing way to look at the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Another more positive way to look at it is that we all have the power within ourselves the way that Sarah does. But when it becomes bad is when you feel that you're owed the power rather than having to earn it and that's what happens with the other three girls is they all they all feel that they deserve the power 
rather than feeling like they have earned it, you know? Yep. And and that's the big difference is that they, you know, they, they once they get the power, they just completely abuse it. And Sarah's the only one who gets it or who has it and is using it for good, right? Or, or what she feels is good. Mm-hmm. So I, I like I like to go with the other idea of just, <laughs> it, it just, it's, it's, an, it's a more empowering idea to think that we all have this power within us, but that we have to be able to access it by just having the confidence in ourselves and not feeling like, and, and you know, not looking for ways to, to cheat and get the power more easily, right? I can so. agree with that. Because that's what, cause that's what the other girls are essentially doing. They're looking for, like, a cheat, you know, to just make all this stuff better. Oh, and that's absolutely. Not, and ultimately, it's not what power is. Power is a responsibility, you know, yeah. so. And if you use it irresponsibly, it goes horribly, horribly wrong for you, like we have with Nancy. So I'm curious about how you view the ending with Nancy ending up in the mental hospital. Okay, so another element that I don't like. So... <laughs> <laughs> So first of all, in a in a filmic sense, you know, if we're looking at this as a morality tale, if you look at it as a morality tale, then yes, in a sense, Feruza or Nancy kind of deserves the punishment in a way because, you know, it doesn't matter that she had this upbringing that makes her relatable. Again, it still comes back to the idea that you abused it, you know, just because... I mean, shit, I grew up being relentlessly bullied for years and I didn't turn into a fucking monster, you know? So, yeah. like, uh, so, and she does try to kill Sarah simply because Sarah does not want to do this sort of stuff, right? And she does kill Chris. And she does kill Chris. So, like, Feruza definitely, or, or Nancy definitely deserves some kind of punishment. And, you know, frankly, it's been coming her way the entire film because another scene that really stands out is when. Uh, is when the girls are all making their little blood wine pack or whatever, <laughs> and and the other three girls all, you know, they, their wishes are are something a little bit more positive. You know, it's finding love in themselves or or finding the the ability to be able to respect people that mistreat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Nancy is the only one who is asking for power. Yeah. You know, like, she's not asking to better herself. She's not asking for others to be bettered. No. She just wants power. So, and that and that power ultimately consumes her. But another way to look at this that <laughs> bugs me again is that, you know, kind of the way that we treat, uh, that we treat people that we could deem as others, right? You know, mm. or... Or people that have an illness. And so when you look at Feruza and her character, uh, Nancy is a troubled person. You know, she has grown up in this awful home mm-hmm. and has been mistreated. And, 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 you know, that all deserves some sympathy. And it just doesn't feel right that she, you know, that because of that, she ends up in this place. And, and, and it's almost... And it kind of plays back to like you know I, again from from male writers I see it sort of as like the fact that Nancy became too powerful. It's almost like a male punishment of <laughs> of well we can't let her rise too high. You know, it's, you know I feel like it's a difficult ending to do because you know it's it's a horror film so Nancy can't get off scot free, like she just can't. You, you can't have that as your ending because I feel like that would be a weak kind of 
cheap cop-out ending like we were talking um last week with everybody being saved but i i am really glad that they didn't just straight up fucking kill nancy like that would have pissed me off more than anything else if they just straight up killed nancy and she was dead because for me the ending it's not ideal but the way i view it is that in talking with power she she loses herself. She's completely lost her way in things. She doesn't know who she is anymore. She doesn't know where she stands with things anymore. She's just become this person who's grasping for power for some kind of control. So for me, it's really iconic because she gets slammed into that mirror. Like, that's her end shot. Nancy gets slammed into the mirror and you see all the shards fall around. And that's why I thought it was not a terrible ending because for me, I viewed it as, you know, Nancy has just completely lost any sense of herself. And that's no, where I, she ends up. No, I don't disagree. Look, on the surface, I don't disagree with it at all. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about a surface level read of it. You know, <laughs> like, it's it's obvious that Nancy has lost herself and is no longer, you know, uh completely in control i guess you could say the the thing that i'm more talking about here is you know the again like look when you have all these you know patriarchal elements thrown into it 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 makes the film come off a bit differently you can you can read it a bit differently and so when you have nancy ending up in a in a mental asylum you know it strikes a chord at and i'm surprised i'm the one that's like (laughs) that's like talking about this because it you know it strikes a chord i think that that you know, can be interpreted in ways that don't quite rub you the right way, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like, when you look at some of the things that Nancy's using her power for, I mean, what's one big instance? The thing with Chris, right? That that whole scene is like, yes, she kills him, but it's out of anger off of, you know, men like Chris who just completely mistreat women and abuse them and, uh, you know, ruin their lives and whatnot. And so, in a sense, it's kind of like saying the fact that she got the power to finally fight back against that was wrong you know mm-hmm. or or whatever and and you know like in that moment i'm more on her side than i am chris oh absolutely <laughs> i was rooting for her the um, entire scene but also you know the thing with her ended up in a mental asylum it's like you know that's also disappointing because because yep. i mean yes again like a morality tale in a film standard it, it, she has to be punished in some kind of way i get that but just reading it with all the other male elements that run into the film, it almost feels like a woman being punished as being quote unquote hysterical yep. or whatever, just for frankly, finally standing up for her and other women, right? Like that's kind of... I I definitely don't disagree with you on that. No. Like, you know, I, I definitely agree with you on all that stuff. Like, all the patriarchal overlay of everything with, with Manon and Chris and all that shit, it makes the ending really difficult to do in any way that doesn't feel like you're just shitting on the characters. So we got to start wrapping up here. So who's your killer idiot of the craft? Like, I'm going with that lady who owns the, the Wicca shop for letting those girls come in and keep stealing from her. She knows they're stealing. Why? Why do you keep letting them in your shop? It's a terrible idea. Not great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm going to go with Chris just because, like, come on, Chris. I mean, you're going to treat Robin Tooney that way? She's awesome. You know, right? you're, t- you're, t- you're talking about a, a, a beautiful, doesn't, uh, doesn't, you know, make herself commit to like 
standard high school bullshit. Like, you know, calls you cool on girl, your, calls you on your shit, you, confident. <laughs> yeah, she just, she sets one boundary down because you literally just met like a week and, ago. And she came to your stupid ass football games. Yeah. <laughs> this girl clearly doesn't care about that shit. No, fuck you, so, bud. So yeah, fuck you, Chris, idiot. Uh, what about your killer death? Uh, like, I have to go with the homeless man because when they run over his head, it just bounces like a basketball, and that weirdly sticks with me. Yeah, that's mine, too. It's, you know, Chris is the most satisfying of the de- death of the film, probably, but uh, but the homeless guy getting run over is definitely one that stands out. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about your killer MVP? Uh, that goes to Farisa Balk for her performance of Nancy. Nancy is such a, a force of nature in this film and she does such a great job of capturing what i think is the nuance of this character and honestly i watch this movie for nancy every time well i think most people do you know it's uh, feruza's mine as well and it it is because feruza balk just like she come you know she comes into this film with with just an understanding, it feels like, of the character and all the emotion. Like, she comes in with just such an adult approach to it uh, and just such a deep understanding that, like, you cannot take your eyes off of her during this movie. And, and we're talking about a film with, with Robin Tony, Nev Campbell, and Rachel True. Like, these are all great actresses, you know? And, and Nev Campbell was very popular at the time. Actually, Nev Campbell was originally supposed to play Sarah and got cast in this role instead. Oh. Um, but these are some great actresses, yet... Feruza somehow outshines them all just because she she is a force of nature. She brings such a just deep intensity to the role, but also, like you mentioned, there are moments where you do feel endeared to her and you kind of get her, right? Yeah. And, yeah, I, th- I think most of us that reflect on the craft, Feruza is just that performance that we're just like, that was fucking incredible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's mine as- so Feruza is definitely mine as well. All right, well, so that's going to do it for us on the craft. So now we're going to be moving into our Patreon content where – we're going to dig a little bit more into our thoughts on uh, the fact that men are behind, you know, the, <laughs> one of the more popular teen girl movies of the 90s. Um, we're also going to talk about our thoughts on whether or not we think Manon is real or not and, and what the whole deal with him is. So if you'd like to hear that, go just go to patreon.com slash killerhorrorcritic for just a dollar a month to get access to all of our additional bonus content. Uh, we also have lists for upcoming releases for you to check out uh voting for our episode themes voting on bonus episodes bonus episodes uh so again just go to killer Horror, or just go to patreon.com slash killer horror critic for all that every dollar goes right back to our writers so we just really appreciate any support that we can get there uh also a shout out to our killer members ben scouten michael campbell martin and Chetta, seth Vermonten, kelsey lynn and john reed adams just thank you so much for supporting us and you know we can't do this without any of you so just thank you uh next week we will be talking about clive barker's lord of illusions uh, which i can't wait to discuss so uh but that's gonna do it for us on the craft so i'm matt and i'm chris and have a good night horror fans bye i hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of killer horror critic if you'd like to scream with us some more please subscribe on itunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans. <laughs>